It is indeed a pleasure to have this privilege to play here for you. And we, we intend to give you a very fine program, so just settle back, relax, and enjoy the moment. 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 Hello and good morning. Welcome back to Mic'd Up, an unapologetic low country based podcast from the Charleston Activist Network. I'm your host, Mika Gadsden, and it is Tuesday. It is May 11th, uh, and it's uh, around the eight o'clock hour um, at the time of this recording. Oh my goodness. So, <laughs> you know what? I, I just can't let old habits die. So why why resist, right? <laughs> so what I'm talking about is that, um, so when, whenever I would hop on Twitch, uh, either the, the previous evening or early, early the morning of my Twitch uh, live stream, I would curate a number of articles and clips that I'd use. And, and the great thing about Twitch is that, you know, I can show people video clips from either YouTube or from whatever um, news outlet site. You know, I could share that news in more dynamic fashion. And um, but anyway, the, the curation part is what um, I really like and I've grown accustomed to. And so. This morning, I wanted to share, like I have in previous podcasts as well, uh, share some audio from some, from some local news stories that got my attention. I'm going to try to just be as concise and make this make sense, y'all. But there are a few stories there. They are not all connected or related, but things that just caught my attention uh, going on here in the low country. Uh, the number one thing, y'all, is, um, man, th- this, this debacle. This uh, sideshow uh, of a protest scene going on, uh, led largely by white parents in Mount Pleasant, Dorchester County, and of course also Charleston County, um, during some of uh, our school board meetings. Or so, each county's respective school board meeting has lately been um, taken over by these anti-maskers, these anti-mask protesters. Uh, some of these groups are led by literal insurrectionists and felons, uh, specifically KKK Corey Whittington Allen. He's leading the charge in some of these um, in some of these protests. So let me just let you listen to some some sound from what happened last night in uh, Dorchester County. Developing news tonight: a debate over mask mandates at school districts across the Low Country. Tonight, med- meetings in Charleston and Dorchester counties were packed with angry parents. News News Katie Turner joins us in the studio after hearing from them. And Katie, what do these parents say they want? Well, Carolyn, bottom line is parents are saying they don't want their kids to be wearing these face masks for seven, eight hours a day. And that's exactly what Lowcountry medical experts are saying needs to happen until the end of the school year. Passionate protests from parents. Stop taking away the oxygen from our children. I know, I know I shouldn't laugh, <laughs> but I can't. The, okay, so just to, just to help you all picture what that last um, commenter was doing. So this was a, a woman, presumably an adult, <laughs> allegedly, supposedly an adult, took her ass into a school board meeting and she put over her head some sort of either Ziploc or plastic bag as a way to, I guess, communicate to people who were listening, uh, to the leaders on the school board. I guess she was trying to compare that type of 
I don't know, suffocation. She was trying to compare that to children wearing masks. Now, mind you, they're protesting wearing a mask. The mask ordinance is in place for kids in schools. It, there's only a month left, y'all. A, only a month left to the school year. Not only that, if you've been watching national news, you know that Pfizer just approved or the government just approved the FDA and approved uh, approved the use of the Pfizer vaccine in children as young as 12 years old, right? We are seeing uh, the infection rates for adults plummet all over the country. About what? Over a third of adults in the in the United States are fully vaccinated. So we're seeing progress and I don't understand like, and they'll claim victory once the school year is over You because I've seen these anti-maskers uh, claim victory after folks have gotten vaccinated after, you know, what we known to be to, ha- to have in place. Well, after we known that this works, right? Social distancing works, wearing masks work. Um, you know, all of the precautions that we've been doing actually help, help, um, you know, uh, stymie the spread of this dangerously deadly disease. Um, but they'll, they'll probably, they'll probably (laughs) take credit for the school year ending and their children no longer having to wear masks in class. I I mean, I'm, I'm not giving you the thoughtful analysis you probably deserve, but, I can't even dignify what we just watched. I will say this, though. This is causing serious harm. Um, This is such a sideshow. And this is what, um, not unfortunately, this is what it is. Uh, This is what the right, the right wing has wrought. This is the party. This is who they are now. It's a bunch of shenanigans and it's a sideshow. So, um, yeah. So you get a woman putting a plastic bag over her head, uh, telling people in charge, telling leaders, that uh, kids wearing masks is tantamount to suffocation or asphyxiation by a bag or that it's child abuse if a parent uh, chooses to send a child to school uh, and and adhere to the mask ordinance. That's child abuse. And we we, we know where that rhetoric is coming from, right? Right? We we, we saw it a couple weeks ago, Tucker Carlson telling you, empowering these really, this, this lunatic fringe, empowering them to rip masks off of children in public spaces. He also empowered his viewing audience to challenge parents directly. If you see them um, with a mask on their child, uh, really, you know, ramping up the violence and the and the um, the chance of violence. Because I'd be damned. Again, not a parent, but you know, I, I might have a niece or a nephew with me or a cousin or something like that. Um, I'd be damned if someone ever approached me and challenged my, my, uh, you know, challenge my position in a child's life and challenge my decision-making. But anyway, it's just a whole, it's just really scary because these are the people too. These are your real estate agents. We learned this last year, right? With the MAGA boat parade um, fiasco. These are your real estate agents. These are your boutique owners. These are your crafters, your mid-level marketing scheme uh, leaders. <laughs> these are your, these are your, Hey, uh, sell this shitty jewelry and this pyramid scheme. These are these people that would be typically like harmless, you know, your Mary Kay consultant or whatever. But, you know, these are the people, they look normal until they put a bag over their head and stand before a microphone. Anyway, so much, so much shenanigans. Let me go ahead and play some more sound. Let me think. Um, What was yesterday? What was yesterday, y'all? I think it was a... It was a holiday yesterday. 
Looking ahead, South Carolina is closing state government offices tomorrow for Confederate Memorial Day. Some local government offices will also close to observe the annual holiday. South Carolina is one of the four states with a holiday that honors the nearly 300,000 Confederate soldiers that died in the Civil War. You know, it, it never ceases to amaze me whenever I see like Florida act up or Mississippi or Alabama act up. I don't I don't like laugh too hard because I know South Carolina is about to pull a hold my beer. <laughs> uh, and like, again, not going to give you too much really thoughtful analysis. I led a book club last year. I told y'all what to read. <laughs> um, if you want a historically accurate um, accounting of what took place during the Civil War, following the Civil War, um, by all means, there are, there are a bevy of books. Uh, you can start with Denmark Vesey's Garden, if you want to start with Charleston. Um, but anyway, I'll save a book recommendation later. But just so you know, um, the insurrection that we saw in January, that was just like a teeny weeny tiny microscopic version of what the fucking, uh, those who seceded from, uh, the, who, <laughs> those who seceded from or tried to secede from the union, that, that's, that's pretty much like, so what we saw in January is pretty much one of the key ingredients of what took place during the civil war if that makes any sense right so um it's interesting because um insurrectionists following the civil war um folks who, who attempted to secede from the union uh folks who were key uh key editors or writers in these uh articles of secession from states like south carolina who was the first to secede, to secede um you know, a lot of those folks following the war, they got reparations. The government bailed them out. The government gave them a little slap on the wrist and they were able to to go on and wreak havoc and, and literally uh, go on to murder uh, and create laws like Jim Crow laws following the Civil War, uh, black codes, on and on and on, convict leasing. You know, uh, uh, so we've rewarded insurrectionists uh, in the past via the secessionists. Um, who were able to just come, go, go right back to regular life, right? Oh, I, I know you tried to, you know, kill your brother uh, and, and to honor slavery and to maintain slavery, but go ahead, we'll, we'll give you a little kickback so that you can go back to farming and you can make sure that black people never have, um, you know, ec can never experience economic parity, right? So what we've done in the past, we're doing it again because these insurrectionists, I'll be damned. I know they keep talking about one or two or three or four men from South Carolina that got caught up, but they're getting like misdemeanor charges, if any. And again, I'm an abolitionist, but in terms of any type of accountability, we ain't seeing it. So that's why KKK, Corey Allen, Whittington, or whatever the fuck, Mr. Breaking and Entering on the fetus drug habit, him and Tyler Bear Spray Bessinger, they can show their faces. They can get a, a literal warm embrace from the GOP here in South Carolina uh, in Charleston. Um, they can just go back to just, hey, I know we participated uh, in insurrection, which is a federal crime, but hey, watch my vlog, <laughs> right? Anyway, so that's us. We celebrating bullshit. We celebrating the antebellum fantasy. Honestly, I, this never, like even at the height when we had beef, when they were like literal factions warring against each other at the state house, this shit never makes it to my, my, the forefront of my mind until I watch the news. So, um, I guess that's the one silver lining is like, I don't really think 
this Confederate bullshit is as popular as they think it is. It looks like a bunch of sad cosplay. I know Glenn McConnell somewhere out there uh, getting ready to dust off his bullshit racist uh, garm, gar, gar, garb <laughs> somewhere. But uh, anyway, anywho, that's South Carolina. They should change it. They should change the, the state. Is it a tagline? What do you call it? Change it from Palmetto State to Hold My Beer, Alabama. Hold My Beer, Florida. <laughs> that should be it. All right, so um, there's some other news. Not salacious. I'm just going to frame it like this. I got questions. I, I got some questions. And also, Sean Brock is involved, so I'm like, hmm. Take a listen. Connecting workers to hospitality jobs now easier than ever thanks to the app GigPro created by a Charleston chef. Now, the app lets anyone apply for and book jobs for just a single night. That's right. News 2's Katie Augustine joins us live from downtown Charleston. And Katie, nearly 150 businesses and 2,000 workers are on this particular platform. Carolyn, that's right, and hundreds of gigs are booked every week. A restaurant will put up a shift, anyone can apply for it, and then book it. I'm told that jobs like dishwashers, line cooks, and server's assistants are paying top dollar. Speaking from personal experience. I've been a chef here in Charleston since 98. Ben Ellsworth has noticed a decline in restaurant workers for years. Literally was in the kitchen of the Royal American staring at a pile of dishes, and a dishwasher called out. Then the light bulb switched on. I got a notification on my phone that someone had booked my Airbnb and I said out loud, I was like, I wish he had booked to wash these dishes. Now, um, I just want to I want to be very like transparent. Um, there are people within the food and bev industry who have been a friend to me um, uh, who have, uh, you know, Done, done me a, a more than a couple favors um, and that I really respect and the Ellsworth uh, dude that you heard I'm going to click over to an, an article so I can read directly um, from that but but you heard from Ben Ellsworth in there and he's uh, friends with uh, like the folks at Royal American as you heard uh, Ben has been a part of the food and bev scene he's been a chef here in Charleston uh, from since the since the 90s right um, so there's some, now that was a WCBD news two uh, bit of reporting that you just heard from, but Hannah Raskin actually wrote a story yesterday about this app and about the app success. Again, the app is called gig pro. And while Ben is, um, the most front facing, um, I guess the most forward facing person behind the app that you'll see, you can't talk about gig pro without mentioning uh co-founder or co-creator uh sean brock and if you know me if you know any of my shows from the past you know my feelings on sean brock i don't really have too much love for the homie um i don't think how sean brock came to charleston and profited off of classic soul food dishes gentrified the fuck out of them um made them super popular went on to be what new york times best-selling author time and time again from west virginia no real connection to this area outside of of an affinity for southern food but you from appalachia my dude and you out here um taking black recipes and making them mainstream without to me in my opinion without paying proper homage to those who created those uh those those uh recipes and and moreover this is my this has been my my criticism um this extends beyond sean brock we're gonna get back to the app but just let me talk um 
my criticism for like Sean Brock's for the um, the writing of let's say um, Adam Parker the Post and Courier's editorial choices when are white folk going to say you know what this is not my space to occupy this might not be my thing right here I'm going to acknowledge my privilege I'm going to acknowledge that hey I'm a white man and this industry really loves a, a, a bro right like when when are white folks in whatever industry right when are they going to acknowledge that you know what this this black southern thing this this hot chicken this might not be the thing that I need to popularize and if I do if I do want to pay homage to it because I don't think that I'm not saying that these these white folk can't can't make soul food can't make southern food it's the lack of respect paid. It's the lack of a conversation um, dedicated to um, what this scene should look like. And, and that's my issue with Sean Brock. I think he's profited largely and made millions off of um, appropriating black culture in the food space. That's my take on that. So him being a part of the app made me think, oh, Sean Brock is getting another fucking bag from Charleston. Who, who, who knew, right? <laughs> so he's a co-creator. Um, I'm, I'm rejecting this whole, this was, this idea was born in the, in the, dish room of a, of the Royal American. I'm gonna push back a little bit on that. I don't doubt that this collective um, of uh, food workers here in Charleston, I don't doubt that they definitely came together. I think the, the group is called, yep, checking out the reporting from Hannah Raskin, uh, you know, a collective of food and bev and hospitality workers. Uh, they have a Facebook group page called Chucktown FNB Collective. Um, so I don't doubt that a lot of this innovation and, and this problem solving started in these spaces. I just want to just say that sometimes there's some myth making uh, at hand that we just need to be leery of. Y'all know me. I'm a skeptic. You know, I, 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 I can also speculate recklessly. I acknowledge that I am not a journalist. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so I'm reading more about the app and um, looks like Hannah used the app to actually pick up uh pick up a gig so I'm, I'm gonna read the re the remaining part of the story where we get into that but the parts of the story that I really that really grabbed my eye um because all I kept thinking about was what are the conditions like for um not just the people who are using the app and looking for these jobs but what are the conditions like for folks who um dedicated staff members who've been a part of whatever kitchen or whatever restaurants team you know, what is it like to have this element of unskilled folk coming into, um, you know, their workplace? Like I'm thinking as a, as a former manager, wow. And I'm not saying that folks who need a job should be turned away because they don't have the experience, but I do know that inexperience will lead to some shifts in quality, will lead to some shifts in terms of, um, you know, how, how teams are created. And I think the article talks about that right talks about the drawbacks the glaring drawback for me was you don't do no background checks so we out here just gig proing it up and you just hiring whatever right and and why that's a huge issue for me is because again I'm thinking about the black the young the the women uh who tend to become you know I don't know to become exploited in in the industry we know that FNB has an issue with harassment, with discrimination, all of that. And so now you're going to welcome an unskilled, um, unvetted workforce to these kitchens that could potentially exacerbate the issue. And Hannah talks about recent tensions because of staff members being overworked and discrepancies. And like, the, I guess there was a fist fight at somebody's kitchen over some asparagus. Like things are, are real right now, right? And so just to welcome this now, okay, uh, you know, we're we're gonna just have this this other element here that's unvetted in the staff, and 
again, if you followed me, you know that last year I opened a little bit of a can of worms about um and in, in inquiring about harassment in kitchens and in certain industries within hospitality and tourism. And when I tell you that the amount of, of young women who came forward to share with me some stories that I could never, ever, ever talk about, because of course I'm not a journalist and I wanted to handle those things with care. But let's, let me just say that there is a huge issue going on with harassment, with young ladies being preyed upon. Shit, Vice News came down here and, and, and highlighted it with a really good piece that I played on Twitch uh, not too long ago. So like, this is a huge issue. And in, in the article itself, um, Ben Ellsworth likens this app to Uber. Um, and I'm gonna just play a little bit of sound that has nothing to do with Gig Pro, but this what this is something that happened to black women recently on the Uber app in 2021, y'all. Okay, so we don't need this to happen in the kitchens. Again, this is not directly related to Gig Pro, but you know, like this could happen. Listen to what happened to these black women, right? Right, these black women from Charleston. You you gonna you, be the? You know what? Emma? Under fire from their Uber driver, News 2 got its hands on multiple videos of racial slurs, erratic driving, and screaming. It got very scary um, to the point where I didn't know whether we'd have to protect ourselves. Milligan and her daughter were traveling to Charleston from Atlanta when their car broke down in Aiken. The mother and daughter were forced to call an Uber to finish the trip. The driver was erratic. Um, driving recklessly, he was constantly calling us during videos, the driver can be heard using several racial slurs, yelling at Milligan and her daughter, and can be seen with no hands on the wheel for several seconds. As someone who has worked uh, in the quote-unquote, and I'm using air quotes that y'all can't see, uh, in the quote-unquote gig economy, um, I was a former rideshare driver, and, um, you know, I, I understand, and I'm trying to tie this again back to the whole gig pro app and that experience that we just listened to um the experience shared uh, rather the, ex the experience that these black women traveling from atlanta to charleston had um as a as a former gig worker it's it's just yeah you get convenience and you get to create your own schedule um but there are so many different things and factors at play uh factors at play especially with safety. And now I was a driver. I was a great driver. <laughs> um, I did over a thousand trips, right? So I was seasoned, um, but there were times where I didn't feel safe, right? And so the gig economy, I think, from the perspective of someone who both is still a customer of like a Lyft or an Uber or whatever, um, and someone who actually was a rideshare driver, um, you know, we just know that there's some there's this disconnect sometimes between um with these and they're not even untraditional anymore this is the this is the way of the future right now right this is a way for uh platforms like uber to uh avoid paying people wages to avoid paying people fair wages or or benefits and whatnot so this is the way of the future um but it just it disrupts that relationship between consumer and um consumer and seller if that makes any sense in that there typically aren't those protocols in place to maintain safety or, or other things. So as, as well, we, we pick up some things, we pick up convenience, we pick up being paid, you know, 
more readily or, or more often. Um, we pick up a lot of things, but we also lose a lot of things there. And safety and, and well, and someone's welfare are things that I'm just not willing to sacrifice. And I don't think you have to, whether you are a rideshare driver or a patron, whether you are someone, um, you know, whatever, name the gig and name the gig economy, right? Um, I don't think you should have to sacrifice your life, your safety, your well-being, your mental health to access a good or service. Um, so that's just something to keep in mind. And, and going back to GigPro, uh, again, I don't know if there's ever been any incidents of violence. I'm going to continue to read the rest of Hannah's reporting from yesterday about the app and about her experience with the app. Um, I haven't heard anything yet in my reading that would say that would um, indicate that GigPro, um, their workforce is problematic or has caused some issues or any type of issues with violence. But um, let's just be real, right? Um, this is a food and bev food and bev city. It's flowing with alcohol. It's flowing with drugs. Um, white people love cocaine here. I've been saying this forever. I know we like to talk about what's going on on the east side, but as an Uber driver, the amounts of coke I've I've been offered, y'all. Okay, so you mix in, and I'm being serious. Like you mix in the cocaine with the alcohol. Um, there's just it's just a really bad mix. Uh, on this scene and not only that this city is very hostile to being pro-labor I will say this going back to my original statement about certain restaurant owners and certain restaurant groups there are some you know there there are some that are doing better than others and who treat their staff way better um who have a great uh type of like team spirit or good culture there are restaurants where you don't hear the disturbing stories from as often as others so I'm not saying that all restaurants are are out here being problematic I just think with this app you know yeah it's it's definitely a game changer but what game are we playing and and you know and what do what will what will the losers be dealing with you know what I mean so just keep that in mind I really want folks to have more of a conversation about compensation about fair fairer wages about benefits for people who work in food and bev um Oh, you you know because this is going to plateau, right? These seventeen dollar hour jobs, these twenty dollar an hour jobs for dishwasher, that's going to plateau, and and this this app will experience a bubble burst. So what happens on the other side of that, right? Right? What happens when the the job market becomes saturated, and so wages go down, right? So what do those people have? Are they still, um, do they have enough experience to now to have, you know, another position in the kitchen, a long-term position, as opposed to a nightly gig? I just think there's a lot of things that I'd love to have a conversation about instead of just lifting up another bro venture, um, just, for, just because it's splashy and sexy and has the backing of a Sean Brock. That's it. All right, so that's it for today. Just uh, wanted to, to show, or rather, <laughs> let you listen to. Ain't showing you nothing yet. I'm I'm clocking my internet speeds. They look super fast this morning. Haven't had any interruptions in service. Um, as I've worked all weekend and watched television and everything else. So hopefully, I'll be returning to Twitch soon. Um, might do a little test run soon. You know, unannounced. We'll see. Um, but yeah, um, thank you for tuning into Mic'd Up Podcast. I really appreciate you for listening. Shout out to everyone who reaches out to me via DM and text message. Like, yo, you sound good. Yesterday I was really close to the mic. And so I'm a little further away this time. I have to remember this is a really dope mic. So thanks for listening. <laughs> and thanks for telling me that it sounds good. 
um, because that's what really matters uh, when it comes to podcasts is that it sounds good. All right. So take care of yourself. Be well. Um, find a way to fuck up some white supremacy, white folk. And to all my Gullah Geechee people, y'all stay black.